this is what kind of what it would have looked like back then. This is what it would have felt like. And that's that immersive experience that everybody's craving. That's that's why, I, you know, I wouldn't miss that for the world. You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, curators, and authors to tell their stories of the American Revolution, walk in the footsteps of heroes, and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are delving into a unique topic of the Revolutionary War time period, though our guest today is Jeanette Watts, and she is the producer of the YouTube channel History Is My Playground, the author of the multiple award-winning Jane Austen book, my dearest Miss Fairfax. And most importantly for today, she is the independent museum professional who travels the country giving workshops and balls on historical dances and costuming. So welcome, Jeanette. Good morning. It's great to be here. Jeanette, we have had a, had various guests on our program that talk about the battles and the heroes of the Revolutionary War. We had a doctor speak about the struggles against infectious diseases. We had a builder regaling us with the period architecture of the churches at that time. We've had episodes on Indians, clergy, traders, and a former president. You have carved out an interesting niche in period dancing. What a unique passion to be involved in. Yeah, I always have to do something a little different, but yeah. So in it's funny because in a way it's it's tangential, but I'm I'm interested in you know the social and cultural norms, if you or a social and cultural norm of the time. Well, tell us a little bit about what you do. So, well, I have been a vintage dan I've been a dancer for decades and a dance teacher for decades, but every time I get a job with my local history museum. I am I be I mean very quickly I become the dance lady. I'm the one that they send the fourth grade classes to and say you the... do that thing you do run around with the kids. Yeah. And um well they get so, they get several things taken care of with that, right? They get their their movements, their PE or whatever and then yeah. they get some lessons and and quite frankly the teachers get a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is is that and this is this is a kind of a giant hole in living history museums. We teach how people will we'll teach how they dip candles and how they churn butter. And then the kids kind of sit on their backsides and watch the adults shoot the black powder guns, weave, plow. But all of it is showing how people worked. Fair, fair. fair. Now, what yeah. were these adults back then thinking about while they're plowing, while they're churning butter? They're not thinking about the plowing and churning butter. I, I got to tell you. Any more than while you're sitting there driving a car on an eight-hour road trip? Is that what you're thinking about? Is how I, where I put the key and where I put the gas and how I'm steering this car? No, you got time on your hands. You're thinking about what you care about. And what were they thinking about? What were they caring about in, in 1776 and 1750 and 1803? They're thinking about dancing. At the time, there, there are no sports. Where you're not thinking about the basketball game. I mean, favorite sports team. There's no such thing as a sports team. What are you thinking about? You are anticipating the next dance. You just got the latest dance book in the mail. You're um, practicing your dance moves as soon as dinner's over and you, you light up some candles and you're going to practice the dance moves that were in the newspaper. It's what everyone was passionate about. And we don't show that. So for the kids to learn that history is fun, history is not about sitting on your backside watching the adults do things, show you things. It's about being involved. It's about moving. 
there's a creation of goodwill that comes from dancing together. You've just created beauty together as a team. So sort of the concept of teamwork is invented by dancing as it was done in the in the 1700s. It's fascinating to hear your passion uh, uh, revolving around this particular topic. How would people reach you? Where would they find you? Where would they find me? Well, I'm working on being all over the internet. The easiest way to find me is my webpage, dancingthroughhistory.com. And that's T-H-R-U, so you don't have to type as many letters. You could also follow my exploits on my YouTube channel, History is My Playground. And if you subscribe, because of course you wanted to subscribe, there's multiple tracks because number one is the dancing. So like highlights from the last ball I went to, and I do do dances from the Renaissance through the 1960s. I don't do disco. I've learned disco, but I don't, I don't feel like I can teach it. Also just not a historical need for it yet. When history museums, uh, I mean, I, right now I'm, I'm doing some sewing for a museum here in Illinois that. Is has a 1920s farmhouse. So I'm making a bunch of 1920s dresses. Nobody is calling up saying, hey, I need you to sell me some polyester pantsuits. So don't need to know the disco yet. But on, uh, on History is My Playground, I do dance videos. I show sewing and costuming things. Like sometimes it's how to cheat and take a wedding dress and turn it into a ball gown. Sometimes it's, I've got this bolt of black and gray and white plaid silk. Let's go and make make a new mid-century dress because I hoop skirts are hoop skirts. In preparation for this uh, this episode, you were talking to me about uh, some of the dances that you know George Washington was involved in, and mm-hmm. Napoleon and Wellington. And talk to me a little bit about that. You know, so dancing really was this. Um, uh, you know, everybody's it's something everybody did. It is a social expectation you know you you danced and so you know when washington's troops it's it's a um morale booster you know so uh, washington let his you know gave leave to his officers to and his men it's not like the men aren't dancing to you know have a dance to go dancing good for morale uh if you go fast forward to the napoleonic era you know what wellington was doing the night before he whooped uh, napoleon at waterloo he was at a ball his officers were at a ball. They had to like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, um, we got to get going, sir. There's some stuff going on. Like, okay, thank you for the dance. I'm trying to remember her name, but no, but yeah, they they you know, dancing is is just this significant part of culture. And if you say, you know, sorry, we're in a war now. You don't get to do the thing you love best anymore. Even if you fast forward to the Mer- history of the American West in the like say 1870s. They uh, they would throw fort hops, like we the, a sock hop. Let's go to the hop. It's a much older word than that. Hop is a word for dance, well into the middle of the eighteen hundreds, and uh, so the the sold, American soldiers out west. There are no women. That means you know, dancing. We think of it as it's a mating ritual. No, bunch of soldiers. They're out west. There are no women. I mean, th- there's there's some Indian women over there doing. You know, they may not know how to do a quadrille or a cotillion or, or a, um, a line, da- a, a, cult- a country line dance, um, a country dance, but they're dancing. They still danced. They still got the newspapers with the latest dances and practiced the latest moves because dancing is fun. And that's what they wanted to do. Talk to me a little bit about that period literature that uh, that that they would 
come into contact with. Oh, yes. I love it's one of the primary source material is is like that. That's where I geek out and badly. Now, I do know people who geek out at it more. And so the Library of Congress has this collection called an American Ballroom Companion. And there are dance manuals in there. I think the oldest one is from 1490 and probably in Italian. Um, I think the collection stops at 1920. It doesn't go more modern for a reason. Dance manuals is not how dances are transmitted. You, know, you went to a dance instructor to learn how to dance. All through the colonial area we're focusing on, you had dance instruction probably since you were five or six years old. So how does a, a dance master in Charlestown or Boston or New York or Maryland or wherever, how did what they learn what's going on? There's publications being printed like every year. Okay, so let's say it comes out in April, it might not make it to the colonies for two or three months, but it's yearly. So every year, at that same, if it comes out, let's say if it's printed in April, let's say it makes it to the colonies by June, July. I'm not sure I remember how fast a, a, a ship comes across the ocean. But, but, you know, you get your yearly infusion. And it, there were books that uh, several publishers were doing, too, that exist that you can just find. Strait and Skillern and Thompson's had 24 country dances for the year 1772. And then the next year, 24 country dances for the year 1773. And it's like, as they were done in the courts of Bath and blah, blah, blah. But basically 24 dances, that's a ball. Right. So they're sending you the ball program for the next year with the sheet music and the instructions, the calls. So it says, ladies, right hand star, or you know, light right hand star, left hand star, ladies chain down the center and back. Pousset, or actually Poussettes don't show up that much, but there's just a set of vocabulary that everybody knew. Here's the magic code. Here's the music. Go. And the, and the musicians, and it was only a melody line. So the musicians had to sit down and say, okay, well, you know, there's if there's three musicians, you know, you're not all, somebody's like, okay, well, I'll do this. And they were, you know, this is a very musically literate time. So they could take one melody line and have a trio, have a combo, do a, um, do a song that isn't just four people playing the melody. So when you say do a song, are you talking about lyrics? Mm. No, sorry, a tune, you know, a dance tune. tune. Okay. And, dance, right. and dance music tends to be fairly um, simple. It's, okay. uh, it comes up a lot in like the Jane Austen when you cross into, into 1800, so that anybody with some musical education can sit down at a piano and play a song for people to, a tune for people to dance to. So who is Asa Wilcox? Uh, he is a, a New England dance caller or a musician who had his own little notebook that we still have that primary source material. So how does, you know, it's like people ask, you know, well, what about American music? Nobody's bothering. I just last night got my copy of, I know I told you about this earlier, Music for Patriots, Politicians, and Presidents. It's a wonderful history of music. And say, uh, there, there's a handful of tunes that everybody just keeps rewriting lyrics to. <laughs> you just, no, nobody's composing new songs. Everybody just takes Yankee Doodle and write new lyrics. Uh, there's a song called Heart, Heart of Oak that you just write new lyrics to that one. 
Well, so if you look at uh, the primaries so like Aza Wilcox, it's uh, his 1793. He has this, his little notebook and he has just copied out music out of somebody else's sheet music that got the book from England. And he just sort of copies it into his, his little book so that when he's asked to be at a ball and do the instructions or you know, teach somebody or not at a ball at dance lessons and teach somebody the new dance, He's got the instructions in his little notebook of favorite uh, favorite things. And it's also a good way to demonstrate that we aren't composing our own music. We're just copying this other tune that comes from this book from England. It's just straight and Skillern's tune. They keep the name. They keep it's the same tune. But it's it's always good to that primary source material is is it's out there. But it's not like every town has uh, their own copy of their local dance master's notes. So having somebody's dance master's notes, is, it's very significant because it, it proves at this time, at this place, this person was teaching these specific dances. Wow. Wow. For those of us who like to do our history correctly, you know, as That's opposed right. to it's like, well, you know, it was, this is how it was done. But I wrote this last year. So in preparation for our episode, you were talking about the culture of the dance was important to you, how you curtsy, how you bow, uh, how you walk into the room, the grace of the uh, the whole culture of the dance was uh, something that you gravitated to. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, this fascinating. So education, what we call education is so foreign to what we think of as education today. In a dance manual, uh, among other things, that's probably where I first started going off on that rabbit hole, you can read about, you know, the, the dance book will say you know, how to dance and etiquette. The book, it's a little book and it's all about deportment. I mean, so what they're doing is it's like, this is how a lady curtsies. You put your heels together, da 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 da, -da and minute step-by-step -step with illustrations of what you do. And this is how a gentleman bows. If you're bowing in the ballroom versus when you're bowing in, uh, in the street to your betters, we are very, as we think of ourselves as such an egalitarian culture, not in the colonies in 1774. We are very, uh, we're, we're very class conscious as when we were still colonies. It's a very self-conscious time. In order to demonstrate that you're educated. I mean, I'm, do I, I don't bother demonstrating that I'm educated. People can find out I have a master's degree. If they don't know I have a master's degree, it do does it matter? No, I don't think so. So, but for this, for the, for a colonial American, you demonstrated that you were an educated person simply by walking into a room. Did you observe all the appropriate behaviors? Did you bow? How graceful. You spent your life getting educated, your childhood getting educated with thousands of hours of practice so that you could bow or curtsy and look graceful and natural. As opposed, and, and you're kind of like, wait a minute, you need to spend thousands of hours of practice to look natural? That's not contradictory, is it? But you know, when you watch somebody today, you know, they're at the Renaissance Festival and they'll bow or curtsy as, that's what they're talking about, because we will, uh, we Americans will look very awkward doing this because we haven't been practicing it day in and day out since we were five years old. 
I guess when, when they talk about George Washington and how he was chosen for the the lead or the the general of the uh, revolutionary forces, the army, Continental Army, they talk about his presence in the room. I think a, a novice historian like myself would think, oh, that's because he towered over everybody else. He was a bigger guy. And uh, when you explain that, it's like, no, he probably had an air about him of culture, an air about him. And maybe that has to do with uh, some of this dance moves and stuff that you're talking Abs about. Absolutely. He was educated. I mean, he loved dancing. He was, uh, no, he, he did a very graceful minuet. But I actually, he's, when he was 14 years old, he copied out like 110 rules for living. They're actually, you can just go to mountvernon.org, I think it is. The Mount Vernon webpage has, all of the, the 110 rules of George Washington, you could just like, they're listed out there. So you could just read all 110. And it really kind of demonstrates this, the emphasis on education. There is a lot on your personal behavior. It's not how you treat others, but how you manage yourself. Big difference between the colonial attitude into colonial education and colonial etiquette and We'll call it Victorian, even though we fought a war, so we don't call ourselves British subjects, and yet we use the word Victorian to talk about the Romantic era and whatever. That Victorian etiquette is all about you know treat other people you know, respectfully. It's the in, in colonial America, it's handle yourself so you don't embarrass yourself. So George Washington. Has has uh, in the the rules he copied out at the age of fourteen is about managing yourself, and it can be when you walk into the room, you behave appropriately, you bow to the people in the room as you enter the room. One of them that's also in the rules is like while you're standing there in public, like don't touch yourself inappropriately. It's put in very fancy language, but that's kind of what it says: touch no part of your body that you shouldn't be. I, it's very courtly language, even in how it's spelled out so when we think about dance in today's time we talk about uh -huh. uh, we have different types of dancing and uh we got club dancing we got square dancing we got you mentioned disco dancing now um, <laughs> yep. we got ballet we got ballroom dancing break dancing uh, was dancing as individual back then as it is now um you know you you just kind of listed a lot of different kinds of dancing and so club dancing, disco dancing, are there's those are social dance forms, but ballet and break, break dancing and ballroom dancing are really performance dances. So yeah, that really has dance has not changed. There are still, I mean, there is kind of this unfortunate thing where so much of America thinks that dance means performance. It means sit on your butt and watch other people doing the dancing on a stage. Um, that is very unfortunate, but things like Dancing with the Stars reinforce that attitude. And I, as a social dancer who has done contra dancing and um, salsa dancing, and I mean, there's so many other, country western line dancing is not a performance thing. You get up and dance with other people in a room, and it's fun. Uh, there are so many kinds of dance. Now, I say that when I ran a can-can troupe, I have a, had a belly dance troupe. Yes, I've done performance dancing, but to me, dancing is something you do with people, not at them. Talk to me about that arm movements and the hand movements and stuff that you would see during that period. 
uh, or is it all partner based or? Well, there are partners, but it's not like couple dancing hasn't been invented yet. So it is very, that's self-conscious time. This is going to probably the most graceful, beautiful thing that has ever existed on the planet. Imagine a room entirely full of people who've been at dance lessons, like ballet lessons kind of thing, since they were five years old. So when you, if in, in the etiquette, when you hand someone a piece of paper or a book, you have, there's this graceful practice movement that there it's in the manuals, like in minute detail that you put your arm in a curve to hand it across. Well, when you take your partner's hand, it's the same motion that you've been practicing since you were five years old to gracefully in an arc, move your arm and then, you know, place it into your partner's. So your hands touch. It was, you know, that practiced. Um, I can see that being in the, in the uh, upper echelon of society down in Charleston. I'm having a hard time seeing that in the back country of South Carolina <laughs> and North Carolina in 1780. Well, of course, you know, there, there is, you know, education is, everybody wants to get ahead. How do you do it? By getting educated. So there, everybody's trying. On the other hand, uh, things like hornpipes and jigs are part of our culture as well. So, you know, a, if you think of a jig as get in the middle of the floor and boogie, that is, that is a thing. And the, the skill of uh, being able, you know, the the idea of it, it shows up in um, Little House on the Prairie. I want to say the first book where the the fiddler's playing and Ma is or Grandma is jigging. She does j- Grandma does a jig, and the fiddler gets faster, so Grandma dances faster, and the fiddler gets faster. It's like it's a contest. Who can outdo the? Who can go faster and not give in? It's a it's a contest. Okay. Who's going to give in first? You know, does is the the fiddler player going to say I, I I'm done, or is the dancer going to say I, I'm done? So there's actually um, in the my book I that I just put that I just got on music for patriots, politicians, and musicians and presidents. It's talking about uh, this one particular dance, and there's a lot of I say numerology at the time. There were very significant numbers. The number forty five is a secret code for freedom of the press. This is British. A, a British man named John Wilkes had um, championed freedom of the press, and he his newspaper was cut off at the forty fifth issue. So forty five is this British and American code for. So there's a thing about at this ball these significant numbers. There were so many. Uh, the, uh, it was 90, 92 and seventeen were the magic numbers. It was this about Massachusetts um, legislature issue. You know, 92 people danced 45 jigs and and 17 uh, hornpipes and stopped the dance at 1245. But it was talking specifically that, and it's kind of a joke, but it did not talk about, oh, yes, minuets. It mentioned how many minuets, 45 minuets. But it also brought the three dances named specifically were jigs, minuets, and hornpipes. So a hornpipe and a jig are more backcountry dances they are more about speed and agility with your feet and these are that these are the dances of back the the backcountry so they were done all the way up the chain so if things can go up the chain they're also going down the chain so do you have any historical record about parties or dances that went on during the revolutionary war we talked a little bit about george washington have you found any historical record of other 
dances? They're out there. Like I, I, the one I just mentioned in Massachusetts. Basically, you need to contact every historical society, and there are no ball cards. In, oh, the, in okay. you know, so ball cards are a great record. You could get. In fact, when you get later on uh, now with digitized newspapers, I can go to the Illinois uh, Digital Archives and type in Waltz and the 1890s. And those newspapers will not only tell you like what, things about the latest dance, the ball program, you know, the Sousa band was playing in the park and here, or he's going to be playing in the park on Saturday. Here's the list of music and dances that we're going to be doing. Or you could find there was a ball and here's what Mrs. So-and-so's ball. This is what they played. There's the entire ball program and a two, and a two sentence description of what every woman was wearing. I got you. We don't have that detailed records in the in the colonial period. So I get to do it takes a lot more digging for me to find every uh every party. And we also we don't have ball cards. So what was done is like the, you, you line up for a dance, and this is like going to the wedding and going to the DJ and saying, Hey, would you play YMCA? And they play it. Well, the first lady in the line would say, play. Duke of Kent's Waltz. And the first lady gets to choose what dance we're going to do. And you dance down the line. So so this is kind of like Soul Train where they're lining up and they're, they're, they're coming down and two people are coming down through the, through the line. Is what that's that's, that's the only a, thing I can think of. Yeah, that that is a very apt analogy. Yes, the okay. the concept of right. two lines of people. You got a line of guys and a line of girls dancing. The stroll in the nineteen fifties. Okay, is still lined up. Thank you. I am going to be using that example now forever because that's fabulous, and I had not put that together. So there's an, a vestige of what was going on two hundred years earlier is lining up to do the stroll or soul train and down the, you know, line of, of each a wow. gentleman's line wow. and a lady's line and down the middle. Real quickly. Uh, did you see a difference between the Germans, the French, the Scots, the, the Irish, the English, uh, the native American, uh, the Huguenots, uh, the, the Caribbean. Did you see all these, this melting pot that America started to become? Did you see, a cross-section of styles in the dance. It takes a while for the cross. It's like a lot of what you just listed are all are all European and the European courts, you know, everybody did every, everybody was doing the same thing. Okay. It's all like, right. hey, look, hey, look at this thing I just brought back from France and or whatever. I mean, the Polish court and the Russian court are interested in what the French court's doing. So that's, you know, so all of those, you know, the French Huguenots, they all come over to the United States and they're bringing pretty much the same, a lot of the same stuff. I haven't found much on the regional dialects. I think they have to exist. I just haven't found it yet. And obviously I'm looking. So if any of your listeners have dance stuff, got to go to, go to History is My Playground, go to Dancing Through History. Just email me at Jeanette at Send me your dance information because I'm collecting it all. And I really have to do go historical society by historical society finding oh. these things. And it's uh, when you find Aza Wilcox's uh, little dance notebook, you know, that's, that, that's huge. Well, real quickly, I want to ask you something I ask uh, just about every guest that I have. What does liberty mean to you? You know, it's a really complicated word. 
So it's it, over time. And as you look at different countries besides ours using the word, you know, is it a promise or is it propaganda? It seems to me that liberty is a standard that we as citizens need to hold our government to. We throw the word around a lot, but I think the Pledge of Allegiance is where it's the most powerful. The last thing we say is liberty and justice for all. Not for some, for all. What is liberty? What is justice for all? It's a really high standard to meet. It requires participation. Not voting is violating your the pledge that you made when you did your pledge of allegiance to the flag. And it requires thinking about your fellow citizen, not just yourself. So, and that's very much like dance. Dance is about taking care of your partners, taking care of the other people in the dance line. So it is, it is a um it is a powerful word that we that needs to be understood, thought about, and reflected on. And I love the fact that you ask everyone that. All of us should be standing on street corners asking everybody else waiting at the stoplight that that question and thinking about it because the more you think about it and the more as you answer it and you listen, people, you know, you say the Pledge of Allegiance, do you listen to what you just promised? Well, tell us again how people can reach you. You can find me at dancingthroughhistory.com. You can find, if you go to YouTube, History is My Playground, and you can follow my exploits at history museums, dance events, and in my sewing room. And uh, my author page is Jeanette Watts, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-W-A-T-T-S.com. Any of those pages has a link to, to get through to me. And my my email address is Jeanette at W-A-T-T-S-E-S.com. So there's four different ways you can find me. And if I do my homework today, I'm starting a new TikTok account because I've got more History is My Playground stuff. So History is My Playground will be on TikTok soon because it's been on my to-do list for a month and it's time to stop to cross it off on the to-do list. Thank you so much, Jeanette. Appreciate you. Well, it's lovely getting to talk to you. All right. Take care. You too.